Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you as always for joining me on today's show. You guys, this is such a fascinating topic. I love hearing listener feedback. And I recently went to my Instagram stories and I said, hey, I would love to hear some podcast guest suggestions or topics. And one of my good buddies, Elias, responded to my question because I asked, who would you like to hear on the podcast? What would you like to learn about? And he said, the Loch Ness Monster. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is such a good idea. I have been fascinated with the Loch Ness Monster ever since I was a kid. I think I'm really interested in cryptozoology. I am so into the unknown. I love a good mystery. And I know some of my scientist friends would frown upon that and be like, Corbin, be real. But honestly, I... I'm fascinated by it, and I still believe there are things that we don't know. Look at things like the ocean. I mean, we still have so much to learn about the ocean. We have so many species to still discover. So I encourage you to listen to this show with an open mind. But on the show, I have one of the most credible Loch Ness monster experts on the show. I have Roland Watson, and he is an author. He is a blogger. His blog, The Loch Ness Monster Mystery, I'll include a link in the show notes, is a popular blog. It has millions of hits, and he is so educated on the subject. And you will hear that throughout the interview. And I'm I'm going to be honest with you. I asked Roland some very hard-hitting questions. I asked him point blank, like, what do you say to people who say they've never found a body? What do you say to people who say this could be some sort of an eel? What do you say to people who say that the Loch Ness is landlocked and there's no way a large animal could get into the Loch Ness? What do you say to people who say there, there you know, aren't enough fish to feed such a large monster? I asked him point blank and he gives me great explanation. I had a just a really fun time interviewing Roland, and he goes into what the Loch Ness Monster could be. He goes into the theories, whether it's a giant eel, whether it's a plesiosaur, whether it's some type of a pinniped. He goes into it. I'm not going to give it all away. I encourage you to follow us over on Patreon. If you are a huge fan of the Animals to the Max podcast, I'm telling you what, you have to join our Patreon page because being a Patreon member, you get exclusive Patreon member only episodes and we do after shows and we had an awesome after show with Roland. I asked him a bunch of things, including what do you say to naysayers who say they've never found a body? I asked him about the tourism. I asked him, you know, if I want to visit the Loch Ness, like where do I go? Like tips, tricks, all that type of stuff. So you really need to join us on the after show if you want more of the Animals to the Max podcast. I do want to say hello to a few new Patreon members. We have Amanda and we have Amy. 
Amanda and Amy. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting the Animals to the Max podcast. And I'm so happy that you are enjoying the online content and you're enjoying these exclusive after show interviews. I actually got an email from Amy saying she just loves it. So thank you so much for your continued support. If you do want to become a Patreon, it starts at just $10 a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. And as always, I will include a link in the show notes. With that said, let's get to it. Let's talk about the Loch Ness Monster. Please welcome to the show, Roland Watson. Roland, how are you doing? Hello, Corbin. Please to be here. Okay, I have a question. Is it Loch Ness or Loch Ness? Loch. Loch? Loch. Oh my god, so I need to actually put a little flair to it. It's a Loch Ness Monster. Loch. You're better going spit into a spittoon at the end. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Okay, okay, I'm going to do that. Loch Ness Monster. Loch. <laughs> oh, Loch. Is that better? I'll do. Okay, that'll do. So you're here to talk to us about, I would say, something that has fascinated people for, I mean, for over a hundred years. And can we just, can we get into it? What, I mean, when did you start getting fascinated with the Loch Ness Monster? Well, Corbin, it goes way back to my youth. Uh, tell you what, I was back when I was 12, 13. I was interested in dinosaurs, mysteries, and that kind of thing. And being in Scotland, I was only 100 miles from Loch Ness. Wow. So naturally, I, 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 I kind of latched on to this. There's a dinosaur in Loch Ness swimming about. Because at the age of 12, uh, you kind of take these things in your stride. Uh, so... I began to read about what I could find uh, about the monster. I collected books. And actually, at that time, we're talking about the mid-70s, okay. uh, the monster was big news, big news, uh, because we were about to have some famous underwater pictures uh, going out on the media. And generally, it was Nessie fever everywhere. Uh, that that came, that passed, and I I, I I continued to have my increase my love for the subject. I visited the loch when I was a student, uh, and during the summer breaks, cy- cycling up there to loch my camera and binoculars. I would uh, then eventually got a career, software engineer, and it tailed off a bit. I moved down to England, and I. I focused on my career, but I was always keeping an eye on the news items, newspaper. Got married, had kids, two little monsters of my own, <laughs> and uh, and um, it bobbed along the bottom. And uh, but we got to the late nineties, and uh, I went, the internet came along in the late nineties, and I began to see what we got about the monster on uh, the internet. Lots of sites. Uh, I noticed that uh, as 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 I as things progressed, a lot of people were obviously skeptical about the whole thing. A lot of website forums dedicated to that kind of thing. And there's an imbalance, so I thought, well, let's try and redress the balance. Start my own blog around 2010, com, and it's took off from there. And I've had millions of hits on it, and I've. Based on the back of that, I've published three books on the subject. Uh, get a lot of following, a lot of opposition. 
It's great fun. Wow. That is amazing. So, and can you tell your blog one more time so my listeners can hear it? And then I'll also put a link in the show notes. What is the blog's name again? Yeah, it's lochnestmystery.blogspot.com. Wow. And millions of hits. Why do you think we are so fascinated with the Loch Ness Monster? <laughs> well, people love a mystery, Corbin. Uh, I mean, it's just like Yeti, Bigfoot, Chupacabra, uh, Champ, and like Champlain, Ogopogo. People just like the idea that there's something bigger out there, something mysterious. You know, people just love dinosaur movies, Godzilla, uh, Valley of the Guanji in Jurassic Park. And this it kind of maps onto that. That that doesn't see whether the thing's there or not, but people just love to w- read these stories about you knowing the latest picture or how someone saw a monster from 45 feet away or uh, the latest sonar hits. Yeah. It's an ongoing subject. It's, it's always given. And mm-hmm. uh, there's always plenty of jokers in the pack as well. And uh, it's almost like a, a reflection of human nature. Uh, whether there's a monster there or not, it just appeals to our natures to delve into the unknown and go above and beyond the, the mediocre, the mundane, that sort of thing. I love it. Absolutely. So can you can we go back? Like, when did people start first reporting a monster in Loch Ness? Sure. Uh, but the actual modern phenomenon uh, before, prior to after folklore stuff, uh, 1933. So we're talking about 88 years ago. Wow. So back then, back then, Hitler was rising to power. Uh, we had the Model T Ford. We had the Wall Street crash. The, the, the world, the Western world, was in the Great Depression. And up in this remote Scottish lake, pops up these stories. Now, the local newspaper, the Highland newspapers, began to report uh, that people were seeing strange things. Uh, that the, the, the legendary Kelpie had resurfaced. And the first the first actual newspaper report was on May the 2nd, 1933, where a couple from a village around from the loch claimed to have seen some humps in the water rolling about and splashing. And... Uh, Okay, and then we had some more stories coming along. People saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw this happening and that. Most stories came along, and then, but it was still only local interest. Mm-hmm. And then along in July, July of 1933, uh, a couple from London called the Spicers uh, wrote to the Highland newspaper saying, well, we are just back from a trip at Loch Ness, and I tell you what, we just saw something like a prehistoric monster crossing the road in front of us <laughs> when, on our trip back to London at the shores of Loch Ness. So this clearly took things to a new level and uh, people began nationally, nationally, people began to take interest. By national, I mean English, Scottish, Welsh, British. And reporters began to head up north. And uh, by September, October 33, uh, the Papers were all following it, given the latest news, the latest efforts to find it. Uh, questions being raised in Parliament about how to protect this animal from being harpooned. And uh, on it went and so on. And 
1934, there'd been hundreds of sightings reported. Now, obviously, we're not going to see every one of those sightings was genuine, but by 1934, a fever pitch. Uh, the first photographs began to arrive, some good, some dubious, some maybes. Uh, into the 30s, the monster had firmly established itself as a, a modern mystery. And then the war came in 1939, and uh, interest faded away as more important things came to the fore. So 1934, we have the first photograph. I mean, I mean, I guess we have our first photographs of the Loch Ness Monster. Is that that famous one that everyone, I mean, if you Google Loch Ness Monster, that one where it looks like a dinosaur in black and white coming out of the water, yeah. that's it? That wasn't the first. There's, there's been others, but that's the most famous one. That is the most iconic, called the surgeon's photograph, because it was taken by a surgeon from a London clinic called uh, Robert Wilson. Okay. So he claimed he took this picture of the serpentine neck while he was on a, a I guess, a shooting fishing holiday in Scotland. He claimed he saw this thing break the surface at 200 yards and he took two photographs. So that created a sensation. Uh, this hit the New York Times, the London Times, the Daily Mail, uh, in April 1934, and that kind of pretty much embedded the Loch, monster, the Loch Ness monster into the into the memories and psyche of the, the readers. Now that, that that photo remained iconic until, unfortunately, it was exposed as a hoax. Oh. Sixty years, sixty years later. Sixty years later. How do we know that photo was a hoax? Sixty years later. It required a bit of detective work. Uh, Somebody noticed there was a, a little obscure little t column in a newspaper claiming that the picture had been faked, and a name a name was given in that article. So an intrepid investigator called Alistair Boyd, who's also a monster hunter, uh, got on the case. He tracked down this guy's uh, stepson 60, or son 60 years later, and he said, yeah, you talked to this other guy called Christian Spurlin who by then was, was over 90 years old. Wow. Uh, we're talking about 60 years later. He said, yeah, I made the model. I made it out of plastic wood, a tube, rubber tubing. I balanced it on an old uh, toy submarine, uh, re weighted it and balanced it with lead strips, tested it in my London goldfish pond, and I gave it to Kenneth Wilson and some other guys to take up to Loch Ness to shoot the, the fake photograph. Uh, the motive, you may ask, the motive was all these people were related to a guy called Marmaduke Wetherill, who was a big game hunter. And the London newspaper, the Daily Mail, had employed him to go and find the monster in, in late 1933. So he went up to the loch in late 1933 with his team and found nothing. So he came back with his tail between his legs and the Daily Mail basically sacked him. So he wanted revenge, and he got his family to set up this hoax and get the Daily Mail, who had employed him and sacked him, to publish the picture. The reaction was so great to this picture that he was afraid to confess that he did it. So it remained a secret for 60 years. Now, some people think the hoax is a hoax, but uh, I accept that it is a fake picture. Because Loch Ness, sad to say, does attract a lot of 
charlatans, fakers, hoaxers, and so on amongst the genuine people. Fake. Fake. So, Roland, do you have a picture that you believe is real? Yeah, yeah. But I think there's uh, a lot of pictures that are real. Obviously, everything's disputed because you can't prove beyond doubt what's in the picture. So, I mean, the very first picture was taken a few months before the surgeon's photograph, uh, which shows uh, a picture taken by a local man called Hugh Gray. It shows a, a large hump in the water with what looks like a fish-like or eel-like head looking at you and a long tail. It's a very curious-looking beast, I'll tell you that. Uh, but that, that was the very first picture, and I, I think it stood the test of time. Obviously, people try to shoot it down. I think the guy was honest, and he took what he thought was something large in the water. People who saw the picture thought, it looks like a whale, or it looks like wreckage, or it looks like this or that, because there was a lot of motion blur and splashing of water going on. So it's not as clear as we hope. That's the thing about most Loch Ness pictures. They're not pretty, they're not very clear, are they? Because people are too far away from the subject, or the cameras are shaking, and so on, or they haven't got the, the light levels right or focus. Um, but that's a good picture. We've got other pictures going into the 1950s by Peter McNabb. We have into the 60s, controversial picture by Peter Connor, who took another hump and long neck picture. All these pictures on the internet are going into the 70s. These underwater pictures taken by a guy called Robert Rhines, uh, which shows a, a bulbous body and a long neck in the deep water. We're talking about maybe 40 feet underwater. A uh, bit grainy because the lock's quite dark at that depth. Uh, but we can go on into the 2000s. Pictures are still being taken of something which could be the monster. Roland, do you promise after this interview you'll send me some of these photos? Because I want the expert opinion. I mean, I, I want your seal of approval before I share these. Because honestly, I didn't realize that that surgeon's photograph in 1934, I didn't realize that was a hoax. Let me rephrase that. I didn't realize, because I know that we have not, scientists have not confirmed there to be a monster in the Loch Ness. I didn't realize that someone had come out 60 years later and said, oh, this was a hoax. That's what I meant to say. So um, I would love mm. for you to send me some photos. What do they think the Loch Ness Monster is? Well, that's a $64,000 question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's a very exact number. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you, uh, basically, the scientists want DNA. They want a dead or alive specimen. So scientifically speaking, it doesn't exist. Anecdotally, it may exist. Photographically, it may exist. Now, when we, people began to report, try to describe what they were looking at, or we tried to look at what these photographs were trying to tell us, uh, sometimes it's a bit like uh, the tale of the blind, the blind men and the elephant. Try to describe an elephant, or they'd, some blind guy would touch its trunk and see it's a snake. One guy would touch his legs and say it's a tree, tree trunk. So the data is quite mixed because sometimes, obviously, some sightings are not really what they are. They're just people that have seen waves, mm -hmm. logs, birds. 
So we have this, what you might call, corrupt data in the data set, which kind of muddies the waters. But generally, generally people would describe seeing a, a large hump hmm. that looks like an upturned boat. Sometimes they'll see they see a back with two humps, a double hump. They'll say they see a, a long neck with a small head. Facial features are generally not described because it's so far away. And that long tail as well. So we have this kind of plesiosaur-looking animal, plesiosaur. which is pretty much... That was pretty much what people took it to be. Uh, in terms of gross morphology, uh, people said, well, this looks like a plesiosaur or a lasmosaur, which is a, an, an animal which has been long extinct since the, uh, the end of the Cretaceous period. Mm. Uh, we assumed it uh, died with the, what we call the KT event. So people said, well, morph morphologically, it looks like uh, this extinct reptilian. Uh, but other people have different opinions. In fact, to tell you what, within, within a year of this monster hitting the headlines, most theories had come through articles and letters. People said, well, it's a sturgeon. Some said it's a giant eel. Hmm. Some said, oh, it's a plesiosaur. Some said it was a giant uh, uh, salamander. Really? Uh, yep. Uh, others gave more natural explanations, uh, such as, as I've said, uh, sturgeon or a catfish, you know, animals that we know to exist, uh, rather than forms of gigantism or extinction. And the, the explanations just came in. Some people thought it was just a large seal. Oh. They got stuck in the lock. And others went for more exotic forms of animals, uh, some giant invertebrate some giant mollusk. Some even, uh, we looked at the photo record and came up with some Nessie-looking animals. They had a kind of long neck, but were pretty small, only a foot long. So they extrapolated it to some, once again, gigantic form. Mm. So the explanations came thick and fast. I think just about every base was covered. And uh, generally today, the popular theories are a giant eel. Okay. Yeah, some people also go for a form of long-necked seal or pinniped. Mm -hmm. So long-necked seal. Mm -hmm. Others still, others still cling on to the a kind of advanced modified form of plesiosaur or sea serpent, hmm. which is just explaining explaining one mystery for another. Others go to the other extreme and think it's paranormal. It's just a, a, a paranormal phenomenon, which uh, you can take it or leave it, just like every, every other theory. And, of course, there's those who don't believe there's anything there at all, and it's just basically a, a form of mass hysteria that's been uh, catalyzed by seeing what they call ordinary objects in extraordinary circumstances, like maybe mirages or so on. So, quite a long list. Yeah. So I have to. I have a question for you. Do you believe, honestly, in your heart that there is a monster in Loch Ness? Yes, sir. I if I wanted to be hard nosed about it, I could say uh, I'll wait till the 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 specimen's caught. But after eighty seven years, that's not happened. So I, I'm just taking it on the balance of, of probabilities here that so many people have seen this 
I mean, the database of sightings now stands at nearly 2,000 wow. reports. And that's just the people who have claimed to have seen it and gone public. Mm. Uh, we're talking about people who are re- reputable observers, who are skilled observers, like people who fish the lock, anglers, fishermen. So we're talking about people who you, you, you can trust and uh, are not fooled by optical illusions. Now, a lot of people are fooled by optical illusions, so we just get those. There's a sufficient subset of these to say, well, I think there really is something under that water. And uh, these people uh, should not be dismissed so easily. And, of course, they have a photograph and sonar hits. We have sonar as well, which captures uh, large uh, contacts underwater. So I think in the whole, it's kind of, I take a holistic approach to this. In the, on the whole, without pointing to any one particular event, that, that I take that to mean there is something in that lock. Maybe 30, 40 feet long, uh, alive, uh, part of a small population, maybe a visitor, a regular visitor, but it's there and it's still there. Okay, so there are a lot of theories of what the Loch... Am I doing that? Does it sound better now? Loch. That sounds better, right? Loch. Loch. Neck monster. I'm getting Scottish. I'm getting Scottish, yes. Uh, So so there are a lot of theories on what this monster could be. You said a giant eel, some type of a long-necked pitiped, um, a sealer sea lion, an advanced modified plesiosaur, something paranormal. Since you believe in this Loch Ness monster, which do you think is the most likely? An eel, a pinniped, a plesiosaur, or something paranormal? Well, I think uh, I have two. I take two positions on this. Okay. Keep my. I'm hedging. I'm hedging my bets. Okay. So, I think it's either. I think it, it could be a water breather, like a fish. So I think it may be some kind of exotic, large exotic fish. Okay. Uh, with some unusual features, or it's a ear breather. And I would go for a long neck seal, pinniped, which uh, is obviously big and uh, may be caught in a lock, or it may be a visitor. Uh, when, it, when the monster first appeared in the 30s, people thought it was a visiting, a visiting creature, which I got uh, stuck in the lock. Now, obviously, uh, air breathers should be seen more often, so... Uh, I would take it more likely if it was a long-necked mammal, like a seal, that it would just be a, what we call itinerant. It's not indigenous to the, the loch, but an occasional visitor who stays, hangs around for a while and leaves the loch again. One of those two. So let's say naysayers, because I've looked into this, and some people will say, listen, the Loch Ness, um, there's no... Because some, some, some theories were that the ocean used to lead to the lock but now after since the last ice age it's been locked is that correct like can we go into that because some people say there's no way an animal from the ocean could it's could have made its way into the lock well i would ask them how we get seals visiting the lock even to this day we do get seals so I, I, I didn't know that few seals visit the lock every two years basically the lock's still connected to the sea now, the, after the last ice age, uh, when you had a kilometre-high wall of ice, sheet of ice, uh, that depressed the lock uh, down, down to sea level. Uh, when the waters receded, the meltwater uh, created a very kind of aquatic environment joining Loch Ness to the sea. 
So we think something came in around that time, but it's not really necessary to see that because we still have the River Ness connecting Loch Ness to the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. So we have an eight, eight miles of River Ness, mm. uh, which connects. So Loch Ness is still connected to the sea. And as I said, every now and again, we have seals which uh, chase the salmon. So we have the salmon coming back to the loch to breed and trout. And seals chase this for food, obviously. And the, the seals will go down the eight miles of river through the town of Inverness. And they'll, they get stuck in the loch. So sometimes we'll have a seal. It may find its way back, but they do get into the loch. And... We, I, I certainly postulate that's certainly possible for larger animals as well. Uh, possibly during heavy rainfall, it's more amenable. Uh, when river levels rise and so on, we have flooding. So, yeah, we're not cut off in the sea. No. Okay. What do you say when people say there's not enough food in the Loch Ness to support such a large monster? Well, that is a good question. Uh, I, when, I, when I asked... Uh, the people in charge of the fisheries around Loch, uh, how how much how much biomass, how much biomass is in Loch Ness? I asked them, and they said we don't know. No one's ever answered that question. So we we only first of all you have a, have to establish how much fish is in the loch to eat. So studies have been done. Uh, some studies done by visiting scientific groups and local groups say that uh, maybe 17 to 24 metric tons of pelagic fish. Now, by pelagic, we mean in the open water, the top level of the water column. Uh, these consist mainly of Ar Arctic char, which uh, live in the loch. And but that does, that's not the whole picture. We'll see, we've got about 17 to 24 tons, but that doesn't include the... The benthic regions, the profundal regions, the littoral regions of the the lake, the lake. So we also have to add in, and no one knows these numbers. Uh, we have to add in eels. Now eels are, there used to be millions of eels in Loch Ness. Uh, in fact, people used to export millions of fries and elvers to other countries to restock their lakes and rivers from Loch Ness. So, and people have always said you know, eels were frequently fished from the loch for local food. So at one, certainly at one point, there was millions of eels at Loch Ness, and uh, I would say that there's more eels in Loch Ness than the Arctic char or the pelagic region fish. And then to that, we have to add the salmon, mm. the trout. Now, the salmon and the trout don't swim in open waters. They, they tend to go along the sides of the lochs, the loch as they head towards their their birthplace, uh, they have to go back to the streams that they were they were born in. And I think, you know, once again, there's probably more salmon and trout that run these lochs uh, across Scotland and not just Loch Ness. Uh, but Loch Ness is the biggest body of water in Britain. There's more water in Loch Ness and all the lakes in England and Wales put together. So it's a major thoroughfare for migratory fish. So once again, during these... Uh, peaks in biomass, uh, we can add a lot more tonnage. So I, I would easily think that we could have uh, maybe over 100 tonnes of or more of uh, biomass. But it's, uh, 
It's not a hard and fast number. No one knows the exact number. And to add to that, the next issue is what is the prey to predator ratio? How many tons of predator can you have to tons of uh, food? Because obviously there has to be a balance in the, the ecosystem for, you know, I eat you, but you, I don't eat all of you. So uh, some people think that one-tenth, you know, one-tenth predator to prey. Uh, but I think we can have 0.3, one in three. So based on that, we could have 40, 50 tons of predator, apex predator in the loch. And if you take a, you know, a 30-foot creature, could weigh four tons, like an ele- elephant bull seal. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you could have 10, 20 animals, depending on juveniles, bulls and females. That's just me speculating, because uh, so, when you do sonar work, you don't see 10, 20 large creatures on sonar. They're very, they're very rare, very hard to find on sonar. But when they do, it's spectacular. So, is there enough food in Loch Ness? I would say at 20 tonnes, maybe not. But when you go over 100 tonnes, I say yes, there's enough food in the loch to feed a small colony of animals of a certain size. So, and I'm happy you brought that up. So you are saying that you don't believe there's just one Loch Ness monster. You believe there could potentially be a colony. Because 88 years ago is when we first, back in 1933, 88 years ago was our first sighting. It's very unlikely an animal would still be alive. I mean, maybe there are some long-lived fish, but 88 years ago, are you saying that there's potentially there's more than just one? Yeah, I think there's potential of a small colony. Colony. Yeah, the other Interesting. school or pod, whatever you want to call it. And, uh... I mean, there is a possibility that they can go in and out of the lock as well, which raises an interesting question about population dynamics. Uh, but uh, there are other issues like, uh, is there a potential for inbreeding to promulgation of disease and so on? Uh, I mean, these questions have been asked. Uh, bad raise. I mean, the point is that predator populations are never big. I mean, pride, you have a pride of lions, or how many how many leopards colonies are there? I mean, you can't have large populations of leopards and tigers or uh, uh, other felines, for example, because they de- or eat out all the, the prey. So predator numbers are always going to be small. Uh, the question is, how small can it get before you introduce genetic defects and so on? These are open questions, I admit, but... Uh, I think on balance that that there is that you can't sustain a small colony uh, with the possibility of some going in and out to introduce new new genetic material. Hmm. Just my two cents. Yeah, so I, I I'm learning a lot. I did not because I've you know read a lot about this, and I mean not as much as you, but a lot of naysayers, you know, saying the Loch Nest is locked in. But I didn't realize that it was connected eight miles by the River Ness, and then that leads into the sea. So there is I'll tell you what. What's up? thing is, people get their facts from History Channel documentaries or from National Geographic documentaries. And a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, you know? They say, well, I, I heard that this documentary said that, but you need to think it through a bit more. And these documentaries, though, they're good. They don't go into the same depth of argument and so on about, well, what are the possibilities? So, yeah, it needs a bit more thoughts sometimes and debate like we're having just now. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a question. How deep is Loch Ness and how big is it? You said it's the largest lake in 
England, how how Brit- deep Britain. Britain, excuse me, how deep is um, Loch Ness and how big is it? Yeah, the, the maximum depth is about 800 feet. There's some dispute about the deepest point. Uh, it's the average depth may be around 200 meters, 400 feet, okay. 600 feet. Okay. The loch itself is 26 miles long. Okay. It's about a mile wide on average, so it's a long, thin loch. It's fed by a lot of rivers, tributaries, which uh, feed peat, part, peat particles into it. So the loch itself has a, a high peat suspension of particles. So once you dive below maybe 50 feet, you're into total darkness. Ooh. So you cannot go into the loch and search for the monster. It's just total darkness unless you have your own light source and even then the light source could be scattered by the peat particles so it's a very difficult place to explore visually uh, which is why sonar has been brought in but it is the biggest it's not the deepest lake in britain but it's certainly the biggest so let's talk about sonar because you've said that they have used sonar throughout the whole entire lake and you said they have picked up large animals, large objects, through the sonar? The sonar's been used at Loch Ness since uh, sonar has been in its infancy. So they were taking sonar equipment from various universities up to Loch in the late 1950s. Mm-hmm. Now, back then, things were pretty crude. Uh, you had just had paper trace with a pen drawing out the, the, the echo. And people saw things. They weren't sure how to interpret them because yeah, it was possible to be fooled by echoes off the side of the wall, uh, maybe some refraction and reflections and so on, uh, a similar way to light waves. Uh, but people, people refined their techniques, the technology improved, and people began to be able to interpret what they were looking at. Uh, for example, sonar was used to do the fish counts I mentioned, and into the 60s and 70s and 80s, we were beginning to see traces of objects that, behaved in an anomalous fashion. Mm. But the problem was there are only blips or blobs on a screen. Sonar is a bit of a blunt instrument. It it cannot give you all metrics and parameters that you need. Certainly not enough to identify what you're looking at. Uh, Things are getting better. Uh, We now have 3D 3D sonar. We have the processing power of, obviously, the, the microchip to interpret the data and create a a live 3D image on your screen as if you were looking at looking at an optical image uh, just by interpreting the contours on below you. Uh, and now we have also sonar torpedoes, which can basically like a torpedo, you can guide it towards a target. The closer the sonar torpedo gets to the target, the better the resolution. Because uh, so, sonar obviously is sound waves and the closer you are to it, just like optical, the more detail you're going to get. Because, as you know, uh, pinging through water leads to a lot of uh, attenuation, uh, scattering, uh, depending on the frequency of the sound wave, how much it can cut through the water. So it's very much a refinement process. Uh, We do see anomalous things on sonar. So the best one we had was recently, actually, just Mm. last autumn. Uh, Fish normally um, show up as a crescent shape on sonar as they move through the sonar beam. Well, we had a crescent shape appear on the sonar, which was 
looked about 20 foot long. Wow. It was uh, it was huge. And uh, this, this created a lot of debate, a lot of excitement. Uh, and this was 500 foot down, away from all the fish in the... And people say, what is this? What I mean, what could that be? And uh, people, it hasn't convinced everyone, but it's uh, convinced enough to, I think, maybe try and push this a bit more, this sonar thing. But sonar is expensive. You know, you can't just go down to the, the radio shack and buy a good set <laughs> of sonar. So it's, uh, we're really at the, the mercy of sonar companies that come to the loch to test out their equipment, for example. And Loch Ness is a good place for testing because it's long and deep. So we're hoping uh, someone will take up the challenge and uh, we'll be able to do a, an extensive sonar survey. Other surveys have been done. I mean, we've swept the lock. We've had various sonar contacts, but not quite enough to ever clinch the case. Hmm. That is amazing. Well, Roland, uh, where can people buy your book? Because I have so much more to ask you, including... I'm going to ask you uh, what you say to naysayers who say, well, we haven't seen a body. I'm going to ask you all of that in the after show. But uh, so we're going to end this interview now. Where can people listening now, where can they pick up your book? And once again, you can plug that blog again. They can go to Amazon and they just look for Photographs of the Loch Ness Monster by Roland Watson. Okay. And another one on called When Monsters Come Ashore. Stories of the Loch Ness Monster on land. So that, that should uh, excite a few people. Nice. Thank and you. I will include links in the show notes. And if you want to hear the after show interview, because you do not want to miss it, check out patreon.com slash animals to the max. We have Patreon only exclusive interviews. So here we go. Roland, are you ready for the after show? There we go. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.